<laughs> well, we just started a brand new series last week. I know some of you were traveling, sick, uh, recovering from chemically induced um, <laughs> difficulties the next day, and uh, you're here today, and that's what matters. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful to see many of you have not blown away or been uh, flooded out. So thank you for being here. But this is an important time. I mean, I, I think that every beginning is an important beginning. Every start matters. I, I want you to imagine yourself um, on the starting line of a race. You're, you're racing. Imagine yourself already racing. Say it's the 100-meter dash. I know they just call it the 100-meter now, but, and, and you're running alongside of other runners, and you've got to cover that three, just a little over 328 feet. That's how much 100 meters is. And so you have to run fast, as fast as you possibly can. And, and then there's that moment you can see the tape going across, and you run as hard and as fast as you can, and you get ahead, just inch ahead enough that you beat every other runner, and you burst through that tape and that's the moment that any reasonable person would observe that you had won the race, right? That's logical and reasonable that that is the moment you won the race. But I would say that they would be and you would be wrong. Because races are won long before you cross the finish line. As a matter of fact, they're lost long before you cross the finish line. So no matter where you came in, whatever place you came in, it was determined before you ever crossed the finish line. It was determined in the first few feet of that race. And I know that might be a little difficult to believe, and I'm not a runner, so you might not take my word for it. But back in 2017 at the World uh, Championships in London... Sprint legend and everybody's favorite runner, Usain Bolt, finished in third place in the finals of the men's 100. Interestingly, Bolt had actually covered the distance of those 328 feet faster than any other runner. Let me say that again. Usain Bolt had covered the distance quicker than any other runner yet still came in third place. And the reason why was because he had the second worst starting uh, time off the blocks after the gun had been fired. He had the second worst starting time, significantly slower than Justin Gatlin's who won the race. Usain Bolt's left that line in 0.18 seconds. But Justin Gatlin had left in 0.13. So you can see, as I say again, races are lost and won, not at the finish line, but at the starting line, in the first few feet. And that's the conversation we're going to have today is talking about what we do when we're launching off the blocks, getting out of the gate, running the first few feet. Because if you missed last week, get caught up, go online. It's an important message to get us to where we are today. But today can stand on its own as what do we do? We, 
we are really need to get in the habit of celebrating the idea of just getting started, the wins of just getting started at change in our life. But how do we successfully get started? We certainly know that the steps we took earlier in our lives have led us to a very large degree to where we are today. I mean, think about it, decisions you made about how to spend money or where not to spend money. I mean, we all wish we would have invested in other things if we had just known. We all wish we had bought houses at a certain time or sold at a certain time. We wish we would have waited to do something or jumped on something much earlier. We wish we hadn't chosen to waste so many years or so many months or so many opportunities on things that were frivolous and dumb now that we look back on it. You see, we can reflect how earlier steps way back in the race have determined where we're at at the race now. We wish we would have gotten started earlier in our faith and become Christ followers earlier. We would have avoided so much pain and poor decision-making in our life. So the idea is that if we get a new start, if we find ourselves at the line again, then we should take every opportunity to make sure that we've set ourselves in the direction and at the pace to get where we want to go because it's important to choose that. If we want to be at our highest and best life 12 months from now in our marriage, in our finances, in our spiritual health, in, in, in your relationship with your kids and parenting and your reaction to the world and all the circumstances that you can't control, if you want to be better at all of that, if you want to get command of your emotions finally and the time that you spend on things and finally wrestle control of your money and, 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 and add health to your marriage, then it matters what you do in these first few days. We're already eight steps into this race. There's 350-something left. And that means that you and I have already burned up a week and so we're losing time to get our footing right. We're losing time to set our pace. We're losing time to do the things we need to do to make this our best year of health and growth. So I'm making my first steps off the blocks matter most. If you don't have your notes out, take those out. If you need to hop on the app, go ahead and do that. I'm making my first steps off the block matter most by, number one, naming my priorities as my first priority. Naming my priorities of my first priority. So I have had more near-death experiences by the time I was 21 than most people do in their whole life. When I was uh, about 15 years old, I got pulled into the undercurrent on a float trip on the Merrimack River, one of the most dangerous rivers in the nation, and almost drowned. But my life was spared that day. When I was 16, we were going to preview a college and we were driving in a winter storm. Our car slid out of control and a semi hit our car. And then it jackknifed and hit our car again. When I was 19 years old, my friend Terry Kelly and I were returning back from winter break, from Christmas break, heading back from St. Louis to Springfield and there was a good old Missouri ice storm. The highways were covered in ice, and I was driving my 1985 and a half Ford Escort. And my car began to spin out 
and I began to do a, a several 360 degree turns across all four lanes of traffic, miraculously missing the cars that were driving by until we ultimately ended up facing the wrong direction on the shoulder. When I was 20 years old, a gun was held at my face and I was commanded to get down on the ground as two men robbed eight of us in downtown Kansas City after they had already fired the gun showing they weren't afraid to use it. My dad says I have nine lives and I've used up almost all of them already. I will tell you this, I wouldn't say I would wish that on you or even do all of that myself or be in another one of those near-death experiences again, but it does help bring clarity to your life. I may have been too young and too naive and too stupid and too full of wishful thinking as a teenager to believe that any one of those moments might have actually resulted in my death, but when I was 20 in college and I was laying face down on that pavement, I truly believed that I would die that night. I believed that that's where it was going to end on a dirty street, a dark, isolated, abandoned street in downtown Kansas City at one or two in the morning, believed that I would die that night. And so when I got up and I wasn't dead, I had a new opportunity at life, can I tell you that even in my youthfulness, not even knowing what I truly wanted in life, I began to prioritize things. I began to realize how much I cared about the things I really did care about. So I want you to imagine yourself in this near-death moment. Maybe you're recovering in this scenario from an illness that looked as if you might lose your life to it. Or you can certainly imagine being in a car crash that's near fatal. Or maybe you can imagine yourself laying face down with a gun at the back of your head where the other person not holding the gun says, shoot them, shoot one of them. And you begin to think what matters most to your life in those moments. Those are called priorities. Those are the things that motivate you to keep living. And your priorities should have a name. The things that are most important to you that move you, that, that inspire you, that cause pain in you if you can imagine that you're unable to experience them or be with them or love them or continue relationship with them. Our priorities are what drives us to the starting line of every new year like this one or every new month or every new day, every new moment, every decision you make, it's your priorities that should be fueling all of those, your thoughts, your words, and your actions. And as you stand at the starting line of this new year, I cannot imagine a priority more important to you than deciding what role God plays in your life. I mean, if on any level you believe that there's a God and on any level that you believe you're a creation of God, an intentional creation of God, then you have to believe on some level that there's a plan and a purpose for your life that is outside of you, that's bigger than you, and that you should decide where does God fit in your list of priorities. Joshua, thousands of years ago, 
a leader of the Jewish people, of the tribes of Israel, gathered all the tribes and told them that God was going to renew his covenant with them in spite of all their disobedience. He was going to deliver the promises he had made to them and the protection he was going to give them and the victories he was going to give them, even though they had been living in disobedience and mistrust of God. But they had to get rid of all of the things that had stood between them and God. God would do all those things, but God was no longer going to allow himself to be put low on their priority list. And this is what it says in Joshua 24, 15. If you decide, this is Joshua speaking to them from God. If you decide that it's a bad thing to worship God, you've been carrying around idols, you've been praying to other gods, you've been pursuing other traditions, you've been marrying other tribes that God has forbidden you to marry. And he says, but if you decide that it's a bad thing to worship God, then at least choose a God you'd rather serve and do it today. Choose one of the gods of your ancestors worshiped from the country beyond the river or one of the gods of the Amorites or whose land you're now living. But as for me and my family, we'll worship God. Joshua said, do what you have to do, but good grief, stand up, take a stand on who you're going to serve, who you're going to worship, who you're going to declare as ruler of your life. As for me, as for my family, we'll serve God. Then I want you to hear this. If you make that declaration over your family, and you should, you should do that this year. You should do it right now. Declare who's the God of your life. Is it you? Is it your money? Is it your family? Is it your boss? What is it that is the boss of your life, the ruler of your life, the Lord of your life? And be honest with yourself, at least honest enough to make a declaration and say, yes, I'm going to let money be my priority this year. I'm going to let doing things that I want to make me happy be my priority. At least make that declaration. But if you're going to declare that God is the God of your life, then listen to me. There's something that happens inside of you as a result of that. It's not just making a declaration and then moving back into business as usual. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said, don't consume yourselves with questions like what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? Jesus said, don't get caught up on all the things that that, uh, outsiders obsess over. He said, outsiders make themselves frantic over such questions and they don't realize that your heavenly father knows exactly what you need. So seek first the kingdom of God And his right doing, his righteousness. And the kingdom of God, by the way, doesn't mean heaven. The kingdom of God is God's way of doing things. And all of these things will be given to you. All of the things that you stress about, the money, the job, the promotions, the connection, all of the influence, all of the blessing and prosperity, all of the favor, all the things you want increase in your life in, don't worry about it because God will take care of that. Then all these things will be given to you, so do not worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Living, I love this, living faithfully is a large enough task for today. So I want you to hear this. You can't declare God the Lord over your life and then continue to behave and prioritize things as if God has no control over your life. You can't prioritize worry and stress And taking things into your own hands 
and still prioritize God as the Lord of your life. Matthew 22, 37 and 38 says this, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, your mind, your body, your emotions. This is the first and greatest commandment. He was speaking to an expert, actually a lawyer of religious law. And he said the second and equally important is love your neighbor as yourself. So if you want to declare God as your Lord and you want to make him the first priority, here's how that gets exercised in your life. You love God with everything and you make your love for God everything that you filter everything else through. And if you're going to make God the Lord of your life, and if you're going to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then you also have to love others as you love yourself. Do you see that the motivator for everything that you should be doing this year is to love God and love people? And let your values, your money, your marriage, your priorities, every single thing that you make important in your life, make that a reflection of the love of God and people. And number two is this. I'm making my first steps off the blocks matter most by rethinking the motives that motivate me. By rethinking the motives that motivate me. Can I tell you that motivation is a terrible thing? Here's what I mean. Motivation, the truth about motivation is that it often gets us to do worse things, not better things. Motivation often moves us to the worst version of us. I'm not motivated, and most of you aren't either, to get up early tomorrow morning before the sun rises and dress ourselves and and put on the right shoes and then get outside and run several miles. You're not motivated to do that. You're motivated to stay in bed under the covers right? Motivation moves us to the work. You're not motivated to order off the light and healthy menu at a restaurant <laughs> where, where it's a quinoa salad and, and, and it's, it's, it's beets over some other natural crap that nobody should have to ingest <laughs> in order to stay healthy. You want, like I do, all the rich, salty, greasy, yummy, and then you want to chase it with a wonderful pizuki, a nice baked cookie, melting ice cream on top. That's what you're motivated to do. (laughs) Motives are horrible, but we want, we think that we're going to be motivated to do better this year. If you're relying on your motives to get you to do better this year, you'll end up in a worse place at the end of 12 months than you are right now. The point I'm making is that you and I have to change the way we think about motives. Listen to what Romans 12:2 says. Do not al- you had that up there quick. Do not allow this world to mold you into its own image. And that by world it means those who don't know Christ. Instead, be transformed. Completely changed. From the inside out, you see, we're always looking for outside motivators to make us better, and it won't happen like that. From the inside out by what? Renewing your mind. I want you to hear this, not by renewing your 
devotions, your prayer life, your spiritual life, your church attendance, by renewing your mind, which is the gateway to all motives. As a result, you'll be able to discern what, God's, uh, what God wills and whatever God finds good and pleasing and complete. You'll see other translations say perfect. Almost every time you see perfect, it means complete, fulfilled. So if we change the way we think, then we change what motivates us. We realize that our flesh is always going to want something completely different than what our spirit does. We have to be able to outthink our thoughts. We have to be able to take command of our thoughts. And I'll tell you that that's very, very different than what we are normally capable of doing because <clears throat> there's a lot of very ugly things that motivate us. Greed and lust and want and selfishness and self-involvement and pride and anger and judgment and self-righteousness and bitterness and so on. A lot of different things. And here's what the world will help you do successfully. Cloak all those things to look like virtues. Because you're just fighting for what you deserve. You're just fighting for what makes you happy. You're just fighting to get your own because everyone else is out to take it from you. And all of those things. Or somebody wounded you and it's not wrong to be bitter and mad about it. And listen, we can justify and rationalize all the things that motivate us. But most of what motivates us doesn't come from God. It comes from here. It comes from us rationalizing why it's better to do it our way than God's way. And that's why God says we have to change the way we think. We have to change what motivates us. I want, I want you to, I, we're going to go through these quickly and I'm not going to do a whole message on them. But, but I want you to show what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. Is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are those who are spiritually hungry. Other translations will say, blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are those who are poor. It doesn't mean poor physically. It means, po it, it means that you don't have anything to brag about spiritually. And somehow in the church, we've managed to make church about being the one with the most spiritual toys at the end. The most bragging rights, who feel that they're most like Jesus. And Jesus says, blessed are those who are bankrupt spiritually because you know that you need God. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who are brokenhearted, who are sad because they'll be comforted. Blessed are those who are humble because they'll be given the greatest reward. They'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for other translations say for righteousness, but for doing what is right because they'll be filled with right things. Blessed are those who show mercy to other people, and then they'll get to receive mercy themselves. Blessed are those whose hearts are pure, because they will see <clears throat> God. Blessed are those who make peace. Wow, do we need peacemakers in this world right now. They will be called the children of God. In other words, you'll be known according to you being a peacemaker. Blessed are those who suffer for doing what's right. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those, or blessed are you when people make fun of you and hurt you because of me. You are blessed when they tell all kinds of evil lies about you because of me. Be joyful and glad. Your reward in heaven is great in the same way people hurt the prophets who lived long ago. Can I tell you that Jesus said, blessed are you when everything happens to you that you think shouldn't happen to you. Blessed are you when you do things that no one else is going to do. 
Blessed are you when you're motivated by things that no one else is motivated by. Because that's what God rewards. I loved the song this morning. It says, your, your kingdom is backwards. None of what Jesus said makes sense to the selfish mind. Third and finally is this. I'm making my first steps off the blocks matter most by planting goals that will grow with me. So I hope you haven't started setting any goals. If you are, consider setting them aside. It's not too late. We're early in the year. We're early off the blocks. We can make up lost time. Don't set any goals. I know it's counterintuitive that at the beginning of the year, I'm telling you, don't set any goals. Because goals that are set won't grow. Goals that are fixed won't move with you. You want to know what the absolute worst thing you can do in reaching your goals? Is setting goals you can actually reach. The worst thing you can do in reaching your goals is setting goals that you can actually relieve. I know that sounds against everything every coach, every trainer, every motivational speaker, maybe every pastor has ever told you. They tell you to set achievable goals. That way you can get these wins and, and let's do this and then you can do that. And I get it. There's a logic there. There's a, there's a wisdom there. There's a, there's a smartness there. But I, I, want, I want you to think about this for a moment. We set our goals according to more of what we can't do than what we can do. We set goals knowing that we have limitations. And so we set our goal on, I'll go right up to the point of what I can't do, and then I'll stop. Or I'll get halfway to what I can't do. For instance, um, I don't think I could um, run a marathon. That's 26.2 miles. Is that right, marathon runners? Uh, 26.2 miles. I won't probably ever have one of those stickers on the back of my car, the oval that just humble brags, 13.1, 26.2, right? That's, that's your way of going, just a little something I did. I'm better than the rest of you because you didn't do that, right? Um, most of us never consider setting our goals with the thought of cheating, but we should because I can win a marathon far faster than you can if I only run 0.2 miles of that but I have someone drive me 26 miles. It'll be world record setting time to complete that race. Because I can't in my own ability run a marathon. But I can if I use the help of someone that powers me beyond my physical ability. And that's what you do when you plan your goals through God. Plant your goals in God. It is a declaration that whatever you're getting ready to do won't prosper, won't succeed, won't get you to where you want to go unless God puts his favor and his hand of blessing on it. It says, God, I want to do 
great things so great, I'm incapable of doing it on my own. I'm incapable of reaching this on my own. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. You have to use wisdom in making those type of goals because you have to bring your will into alignment with God's. You, you can't start the year and go, I'm going to get a better wife this year. God, I'm believing in Jesus' name that you're going to give me a better... That's not God's will. He wants you to have a better, restored, healthy, strong marriage. But he doesn't want you leaving yours to go find another one, right? So you have to bring your will into alignment with God's. But when you do, that's when Jesus says, if you need to say to this mountain, mountain be moved from here to there, or you need to cast it into the ocean, you can do that. Because if that mountain stands in the way of you and the goal that you set, that God has his hand of favor and blessing on, God will not allow anything to stand in the way of that. Let me take you back about, um, uh, well, let me read this passage from Ephesians first. Ephesians 3, 18 through 20 says this, may you have the power to understand. I like that because it, it shows that we're incapable without some divine help of understanding certain things as all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is for you. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to even understand fully. Then you will be made perfect, complete, with all of the fullness of life. That's what we're looking for, right? And power that comes from not your goals, not your motivation, not your priorities, unless they are in God. Now, all the glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. All that says is you're not even capable of setting the kind of goals that God wants to see accomplished in your life. You're not even able to imagine how many good things, great things, wonderful things, perfect and complete things, healthy things, strong things, powerful things, healing things leading things, influential things, miraculous things that God wants to do in your life and through his miraculous power, he can do it. So when you set your goals and you fix them and you say, this is what I'm gonna do this year, you have missed one million opportunities for God to do something greater in you that you're incapable of doing, but he's waiting in a car to help you cheat against the natural circumstances that hold you back. About 800 years before Christ, Israel had turned their backs on God over and over again, and they had found themselves again in captivity under the Babylonians in Assyria. And God was beginning to speak to them and tell them what their lives were gonna look like once they were delivered from captivity. That, that passage we love in Jeremiah 29, 11. I know I have the plans for you, plans not to harm you, but to bless you for future, uh, uh, for hope in the future. And we love, love putting that. They were 50 years away from being delivered from Babylonian captivity at that time. But God had already begun to speak the promises of what their lives would look like. And here's what it says in Isaiah 54, two through three. Enlarge your house. You're gonna need a bigger place 
Don't underestimate the amount of room that you're going to need. So build, build, and build. You will increase in every direction to fill the world. Your offspring will take over the nations. Your people will revitalize long abandoned towns. They were at their most defeated, demoralized state they had been in since captivity in Egypt. They were broken. They were desolate. They had nothing of their own. And God said, whatever your plans are to build yourself a little tent on a little piece of property, I need you to know that you need to put bigger tent poles out. You need to expand your tent walls. You need to get more land. You need to build, build, and build because when you come out of this place, I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you favor. I'm going to multiply your goals. I'm going to do everything you could imagine and well beyond that because I am God and I've always loved you and I've always wanted what's best for you and you'll get it. You'll receive it. You'll encounter it if you just stop doing things on your own. And so I can't tell you how important it is in these first few steps of this year, right off the blocks, whatever choices you're going to make, whatever motivation you think is going to move you to that next best place, that it pales in comparison to what God has planned for you this year. The restoration, the healing, the recovery, the revitalization, the hope that God wants to plant in your heart the forgiveness that you've been pushing off from him because you can't forgive yourself. The mercy you can't show to other people because you can't receive mercy yourself. The grace you can't live in because you don't know what it is to experience the love of God through his grace. And the health in your relationship with your spouse or your kids or your siblings or people that you should be connected to on a much deeper level, on a much more meaningful, intimate, whole level. You can't because your pride stands in the way of you becoming the person God wants you to be. Can I tell you that everything that's cheating you of life, God wants to cheat those things. But it begins here. It begins with believing, I mean truly believing that God knows better than you that God does better than you, that God wants more than you, God loves more than you, God's kinder than you are and more merciful and more forgiving and more knowledgeable about your life, knows what you need more than you know what you need. What three-year-old could look in their father's eyes or their mother's eyes and say, I know more about what I need than you do? In their small scope of experience, in their, their little world where it's about playing and maybe going to preschool and, and watching TV and, and just exploring the world and having every one of their needs met for them, for them to have the audacity to believe they know what they need more than we as their parents. And if that's true of us, how much more true is it of God that he knows what we need more than we do? Because I'm not even sure we're three-year-olds in front of God tantrums we throw and the selfishness we display. But I want to tell you, we're standing at the starting line of a new year, a new opportunity, a new moment in our lives to do something new. Let the new thing you do be completely outside of you. Let God transform your thinking. Let God transform your motives. Let God help you cheat at life 
because he has a plan for you and a purpose for you so much bigger than you can imagine. So trust him. Do you bow your heads and close your eyes and just give yourself a moment of privacy so that you can say something to him that declares where you want to be this year through him. Maybe for you, you'll just say, I want to I want to not set a single goal. I want to plant seeds of goals. I want to say out loud to you, God, what I want to see changed in my life, but I won't put limits on how far I can go and how much you're capable of doing in me and through me. But I'm going to need your help. You have to transform my thinking because I think like me and I want to think like you. If that's you and you just want to make a declaration, you are my God today and I will trust you with my moments, with my minutes, with my months, with my year. If that's your declaration today, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Would you just throw your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. So God, you see our declaration and that's where we stop. We now put our goals, our motives, our priorities in you. Seek first you and your kingdom, the right way of doing things. And then we just trust, we know, we live by faith that all the other stuff is gonna be handled. So when I look at my finances, I say, God, above all things, I want you to be number one in my finances. In my marriage, above all things, I want you to be honored. And so that's gonna reflect in how I honor my spouse. In parenting, God, I I want you to be first. In work, in my thought life, in my words, in my behavior online. I want to seek your kingdom in all of those things. I want to plant goals and I want to prioritize things in a way I never have before, trusting you like I never have before. That's our declaration today. In Jesus' name, amen.